We live life with our own prejudices. God saying they is, we say that they isn't. How you living? Ooh, now you listen. Can't see any kingdom with these isms. We live life with our own prejudices. God saying they is, we say that they isn't. How you living? How you living? These isms. Greetings. <laughs> Greetings, and everyone. Salutations. Right, salutations. You are back with the Cross the Intersection podcast. Uh, this is AJ. I'm in here with Eve and Avery. Hey, everyone. Hello. Please um, check us out on iTunes, Google Play. And if you don't have either of those uh, platforms, you can always listen to us on SoundCloud. Um, you can hit us up on Facebook at Across the Intersection. Um, and you can follow us on Twitter at Across This. Um, and as always, if you want to hit us up individually, you can hit us up. Um, I'm at Divinimus, D-I-V-E-N-O-M-O-U-S on all platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And me on Twitter, I'm on I'm E to the V to the E. Check me out. This is Avery, and I am on Twitter at A Very Good Idea. Yay, yay. So we thank you guys for tuning in. Um, you know, this is the show where we try to hit you up on all things faith, race, culture, marriage, the whole nine yards, and we work our best to give it to you from that mature perspective. Um, we're going to work to be adults up in here because we're all adults, right? Yeah, even though adulting is for the boids. Right, I don't know about know. you guys. It's for the boids. Yeah, I know. I, no, I'm not about this adult business 24-7. <laughs> Um, so, you know, with, with this week, we just want to wrap a little bit about not just current events, but also just things that are streamed, that are streams and kind of undercurrents in, in the culture, you know, stuff that, that we know are undercurrents of the culture. We want to just talk about that stuff and give it to you from that mature perspective. So, um, with, with, with that being said, we, I want to wrap a little bit about, uh, state Senator, state Senator from the great state of Missouri, Mizzou where those football players were. Um, and this young lady, her name is Maria Chappelle Nadal. And she made some not-so-wise not comments on Facebook this past week um, advocating for someone to do bad things to 45. Um, now, I don't necessarily want to get into that per se. I mean, because that, you know, is... Eh. But... I think that it was the fact that she is a state senator from Missouri making statements on Facebook and, you know, derogatory, very derogatory, very dangerous statements about 45 on Facebook. And, you know, just two things that, that I, I thought about that was um, one is. And she is a black female, just for anybody listening. She's a black female state senator, and that presents its own sort of dynamics. Um, but the fact that she's a state senator making, you know, feeling comfortable enough to make that kind of statement on Facebook. Um, and then two, how would it have been perceived if we flipped it? If it was a white female state senator that would have made those same comments about Obama? I think those types of things happen, though, you know, and I think that uh, Maria Chappelle's remark was it should be taken in context of a, a social media age that some people are looking at as if it's new and still adjusting to and not really understanding the implications of everything that they say. So I think on one hand, it should be taken in light 
of course, we do not advocate her remarks. Um, regardless of how you feel about the president, he's still the president, and nobody should do anything uh, to harm him. However, uh, she is saying these things in the context of, I think, social media diarrhea of the mouth, diarrhea of the <laughs> of the finger going on now where people really don't seem to understand how uh, the the implications of what they say, even when they delete it three seconds later, um, but also it's it's she made made her uh, comment in the context of something pretty interesting, which is that she is critical of the president, but then she's doing some of the same things right, exactly. <laughs> that the president is doing, and the tone that the president is setting in uh, putting so much out on social media that is problematic in maybe thinking about it later or not being repentant, but either way, you know, going a little overboard. I don't, so she's um, the Republican governor and the Lieutenant governor of Missouri have requested that she be ousted. They're asking the other um, state senators to vote her out. And I think it takes two thirds, according to the article, it takes two thirds vote to have her removed from office. I'm not sure what it's called at the stat level. It's not impeached, so I'm not sure what it's called, just removed or whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Interestingly, in the face of that, she is is non-repentant. I mean, she's repentant of her statement. She's saying that she should not have made that comment, but she says she won't apologize for it. So that's an interesting stance. She's, you know, she, she'll say, I'm not really... You know, I'm not uh, going to apologize for it, but I shouldn't have posted what I thought. I don't know, fighting recklessness with recklessness. I don't, I'm not sure is the, is the smartest way to go with that. I don't know. I just, I just can't believe that in 2017 people, particularly at her level, are, are, are that ignorant of social media. You know, I think someone at a state senator level has to be a little smarter with how they carry themselves, you know, publicly. And, you know, posting on Facebook is public. You know, you might as well have made that statement publicly. I know there's nuances in regards to context and things of that nature, but the statement itself was still made. And it just goes back to what we talked about, you know, on a previous podcast about respecting the office. And regardless of how ridiculous the individual who inhabits the office is, and to a large degree, you know, 45 has been a, a bit ridiculous. He still occupies that that office. And so just as a another public official, another political official. I think she just had to be smarter with that. And then just as a black female, I mean, there's so many other, you know, things that come into play when you're talking about a black female who's a political official in, in a state like Missouri. In Missouri. Yeah. You know, they were probably already looking for reasons to get her out of office. And now you just have kind of given, you know, given that undercurrent ammunition to, you know, get you, put you in precarious situation. That's all. I don't know. I don't know what the, I don't. I don't know what this. What to say else about that? Well, why don't you bring up? Um, talk a little bit about uh, um, how news stories are selected, um, because what my concern about this topic was that uh, I was concerned that that it was uh, a topic that was designed to cause dissent. And, and disenfranchisement, continued dissent, continued disenfranchisement by taking someone's uh, comment on social media and then turning it into national broadcast news, a comment, not an act, but a comment by a state uh, senator. Um, 
and by comment, I mean that uh, it wasn't necessarily a status update, but it was a comment under someone else's right. status update, a photo, a reply uh, in a mid-conversation and a comment uh, in which that was edited. And we edit things all the time. Right, right. Right? So uh, I thought that it was, it, was, uh, it was interesting, it was unfortunate that that comment was taken and or it was turned into a uh, sub-narrative that fits into this larger uh, narrative uh, of um, division that's happening in the United States right now. I mean, there's always been division, but I mean, like, it's the, it is the headline. But who's setting the narrative? Uh, okay, so... Uh, what's that? What's the name of that group, man? That we were talking about. That you were Wait, talking about. We're gonna get off on the, on the tangent. That well, I, I don't. I think it's very relevant. Yeah. I don't think it's a tangent because because again, who's feeding us? Like, how do we even know that that's a you know a story? It's yeah. in another state. It's you know it could have been hap- it could have happened and, and and moved forward. And for some reason, now the whole country knows about it. And so, yeah, that's a good question. What what is it that? is fed to the world or to the country Absolutely. as a news story and why. Yeah. And- now she did issue an apology though. She had a press conference and issued an apology. But and- she would not we she would not uh retract the statement. There, right. there's a distinction I think that needs to be, that, that's being made. She well, mm-hmm. So okay. Yeah. Well, I was uh-huh. just going to say she she did admit during the press conference I made a mistake and I'm owning it and I apologize to the president and his family. However, and- the state of Missouri and blah 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 blah. You know, she she kind of went through. You know, it's kind of one of them things. Is I apologize if you were offended. You know, kind of one of those kinds of statements. Um, and again, I understand that it probably is a nothing burger. I, I I agree to a certain degree. It's on the scale of issues in this country. This is not you know in the top one gajillion. But my my only thought of it about the reason I wanted to even rap about it today was just if this woman uh, Maria Chappelle was a private citizen, this is probably like, yo, you know, whatever. I just think, but as a state senator, you just got to be a little bit smarter about what you do in the public square. And, you know, people forget that Facebook is the public square. And people also forget that as soon as you hit send, there's, there's a record you can right. hit delete, and guess what? The record indicates that you hit delete. <laughs> yeah. But the record, basically, whether even though we're not exposed to it, this is something that's zero, uh, ones and zeros, and you know cyberspace someplace. But there's a record of what you say, even if you click uh, delete afterward. So, and I mean, I don't know. I, I I do agree that the news probably took it and tried to twist it to make it look worse than. Well, I don't know how you can make that look much worse than what it is, but blowing it up to make it bigger I should say but what about what you were saying Avery because I was asking uh, who set the narrative because it sounded like you were saying in general okay a lot of stories exist out there in the world Um, for some reason this pops to the fore and it's almost as if you were suggesting that a something deliberate some some kind of deliberation took place in order to cause this story to go out there yeah I'm saying our national our national news is curated and um, when when we see these things that pop up on our scale, they're not it's not just random. You know, there are tons of things that are happening all over the place, and yet we all are being made aware of like some random reply on somebody's Facebook feed, even if it was a state senator, 
of Missouri. I mean, I don't know who that is up until I'm being told. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm being told to care about it. So you look at this with suspicion in the first place. You step back and say, wait, wait, why do we even know this? And who's doing the curating? So there's reason for that type yeah, of suspicion. Yeah, I mean, this wasn't no FBI plot or plan. This was a random comment that um, I don't know about anybody else in here, but I know plenty of people who have thought and said that, <laughs> me included. <laughs> you know, we feel the, people feel these ways. And so I know I'm not necessarily a state senator. See, but you uh, said that on like on a private conversation. You see what I'm saying? That's why I think the no, difference is- No, I get is, that. I, yeah. I, I get that. I'm just saying, I'm just saying it, fits a, it fits an overall narrative of, of dissent between uh, those who are uh, for- um, the president and those who are against, and so there, there, there are plenty of things in which that you can pick out, mm-hmm. and so this is one of those things that are being picked out. Who does the dissent benefit? It benefits those people who are already in office, okay, and it benefits the people who are already in top. Like for example, uh, the news media w- 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 Sinclair, Sinclair Broadcast Group, Sinclair Broadcasting Group, yeah, yeah, Sinclair Broadcasting Group. Who owns uh, overwhelming majority of the news media outlets that the exist. local, yeah, the Lo- local, local, outlet, yeah. local outlets that exist within the United States, and they they um, more than likely do something called uh, a form of voice tracking, where uh, voice tracking done in radio is where is where a uh, radio a radio company or business can be in one city, and then they can broadcast their voice to cities throughout the country and localize their voice which puts which which puts lo- which which is what put local DJs out of work after yeah. the telecommunications act of 1996 absolutely and so what i'm saying is is that um, there's a that a very similar strategy pretty much the same uh, business model is used to disseminate information throughout the country and that is uh, our local news reads from scripts Yep, right. sent to them by the Sinclair Broadcast Group. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, you, you ask Eva who sets the who sets these uh, agendas, and you know what I contend or what I suggest is that it would be the uh, media directors who most of us don't know exist because we're just used to receiving output, but we don't because a lot of us aren't aren't in production content production. We don't necessarily have any idea how much it takes in order to create these things. So you have media directors that choose what to show and what not to show uh, on the news, and those media directors receive their marching orders from the Sinclair Broadcasting Group. Like you mean the long, long convo we had before we started today? Yeah. <laughs> All this content we created today. So, But what I, I just do, I, I really need to say that um, what you just brought up and what's being brought up here really illuminates a much larger issue regarding the way that the masses need to think critically about what they're being fed. Nobody is going to the curtain and pulling it back, or very few people are doing that. Most people are just recipients of information. Absolutely. And so whenever something comes across, we as a mass group of people, as regular folk, need to learn how to step back and say, why am I receiving this information? Yes. There are a lot of things going on in the world right now. Why is it this is coming through to me? And just just like sometimes we're on social media, media we ask 
why is it that that commercial? Yeah, just yesterday I said that I want to buy a sofa, but why in the world mm-hmm. is there a sofa commercial? Oh, you know, it's what's going on? Yeah, okay, yeah what is Google. data analytics? So, yeah, exactly. How can, you know, what? It, even listening. when I speak to yeah. Google and mm-hmm. I say, okay, Google, you know, and They're I ask recording a question. Your voice pattern, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, which means that really, it means a bunch of other things. It has a lot of implications, but at some point you'll, you'll be able to be tracked wherever it is that you open up your mouth and speak uh, wherever you are in the country, even if you're in, you know, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which I always like to use as an example. So, uh, so yeah, the masses, I don't, I don't know if it kind of contradicts the notion of masses to say this, but we need to learn how to think critically and ask questions instead of just being recipients. Well, this is why we have to be more mindful. And this is why, you know, the, the, the original point that I wanted to get at with Miss Chappelle Nadal, when it gets to that point, like, I'll tell people, yo, why don't we chop it up offline? Like, I'm not going to have that kind of conversation on these platforms. I'm not going to go to this level of discussion because I I realize Google and Facebook and Microsoft and Apple, they're collecting all this data. They're collecting, oh, remember the last time he typed this? Remember that last post he made about that? So if any kind of discussion that I'm having gets to that level, I'm like, yo, Let's go chop it up. Let's go get a cup of coffee. Let's because if she makes this con- if she makes this statement in a private conversation, right? Somebody's probably able to laugh it off or say, "Girl, you crazy," you know, and, and and it's done. But when you put this out to the you know digital ether sphere, <laughs> right? This joint has now been forwarded into perpetuity, and now it's now it's record, like what you said. It's it's record. There's screenshots and there's everything everywhere and it's going to be in somebody's file in some server farm somewhere. Who knows when it's going to resurface. So just for people listening, you, we, we have to realize that all these companies are tracking all this stuff, voice patterns, you know, what you search, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, it's, it's just not wise to do business that way. It's just not wise to live your life that way where you're discussing these types of things. On, in, on social media, on online in general, because it's all being collected, it's all being tracked, and it's all being going to be regurgitated back to not just you, but to everybody else. And then somebody else who might not, you know, quote unquote, like black folk, right? They'll get fed an article, racist black state senator in Missouri wants to do bad things to 45. Whoa, you know what? I'm going to go round up the boys. We're going... Because you decided to be reckless on faith. We, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I feel like it's, it's all kind of interrelated. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. We're going to transition. <laughs> everybody, everybody loves talking about uh, doing uh, uh, bad, bad things to po- political officials. But for good things that political officials have done, the city council in Los Angeles. So, the city council in Los Angeles recently voted to change Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day. Now, they are the second major city in the state of California. San Francisco was the first. Um, San Francisco did it first, but now LA is following, uh, following suit that they are now going to celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day in lieu of Columbus Day. Now, what, what got me thinking of, about Columbus Day was Columbus never actually set foot on the continental United States, what we now know as the continental United States, but yet he celebrated throughout the country with the federal holiday, 
which, you know, on the, we, we talked about this earlier, you know, on the state level, it was celebrated in the 18th century, but it became an official federal holiday in 1937. There's statues everywhere, monuments, et cetera, et cetera. But the District he, of Columbia is named after Columbus. There's Columbus, Ohio. There are, part, there are streets. There's Columbus Circle in, in the island where I grew up, et cetera. So, yeah, he's lauded everywhere. So the city council in L.A. voted 14 to 1 um, to rename the holiday Indigenous Peoples Day. Now, I got I, I got two views about it, and you know, I'll definitely talk it out to you guys that you know want to hear your thoughts. I mean, one, yeah, okay, I'm I'm with you. I think celebrating Columbus is ridiculous, to, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I know I, I tell my kids all the time what the real story is about Columbus. Um, but then two, I just wonder how many quote unquote indigenous people were involved in that decision making. Even though it's a day to celebrate them, like it was other people saying, "Oh, look, see, we're 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 going to celebrate you now." This is not about Columbus anymore. Interesting. So that's that's my other thought about it. It it's cool, but you know, were they you know were indigenous people were were native peoples even you know involved in in that decision making so there might be a little cultural colonization and cultural imperial imperialism going on with that saying oh well we'll celebrate you without your consent so that's interesting i just think that um one of the opposition points that people have made is that because they were fed the reality that there is um or not the, not the reality but they were fed the idea i should say that uh, you were talking about the Colum- you were talking about Columbus Day, yeah, and um, whether or not it was being co-opted, like um, whether or not the indigenous people wanted it to be, or if it was a decision done by the government. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm just wondering if they, the you know, consulted with any you know mm-hmm. local tribes or whatever. If they had any input in that decision. That's all. Not that it's a bad decision, right? I'm just wondering if you know. That's a good question. Yeah. That's a good question. But did you want to say something about that? Because, yeah. In reference to Columbus Day being changed to Indigenous Peoples Day in Los Angeles, San Francisco, and East Lansing, Michigan, uh, I think think that uh, it's a result of uh, uh, changing time that's happening on the the borders of the country, uh, be it California or in Michigan. And Michigan being a, a huge recipient of Mexican Americans, Central Americans, because of NAFTA and the economic opportunities that were unpredicted, as far as my research uh, has indicated, uh, and and it was kind of like one of these uh, anomalic Freakonomic situations where uh, a lot of Central Americans moved to the Michigan area to to find work. Uh, again, because of the, of NAFTA, so you have this base, a community of uh, indigenous peoples in both Michigan and in California. And for anybody who's ever been to California, I mean, you would you would probably attest, unless you're from California, you would know for sure that it's probably <laughs> more uh, more Mexicans and Latin Americans, um, particularly like Mexicans, than than, than white folks, for yeah, sure. Yeah, that happened in 2015. It was reported that the population of Latinos was greater in yeah. that state than um, than whites I or mean, Anglos. <laughs> yeah, I remember I went back. I went there in about 2004, 2005. I went to Los Angeles along the, somewhere around that time. 
And I mean, it was culture shock for me. It was the first time I've been. I mean, every street was lost, this, los, that. It was Mexico, it was, yeah. It was it was clearly and I and I was in California last year as well. And I mean the influence is just I mean, yes, California for those who haven't been there is basically Mexico. And you don't get that from television. Well, at least uh, Southern California. Southern California, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, but the well, whole yeah, state so, was a part. Yeah, it, 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 absolutely. Well, I mean, no, I'm talking about now. I'm talking about in terms of what he was saying, the demographic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's basically Mexico from the demographic, from the culture, from the from the construction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, to the fact that so many people speak Spanish, um, it's 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 clearly it's clearly heavily influenced. Um, I mean, essentially is, <laughs> and it's only that that borderline that. Makes the difference, and so uh, I think that I think that those, the the acknowledgement of Indigenous people day People's Day or Indigenous people over uh, Christopher Columbus Columbus or really the uh, the myth of Christopher Columbus is a result of the fact that those those voting blocks the consciousness of the voting block has changed, and so it's either to the point where the local politicians are of that voting block, or they are appeasing uh, that voting block. Uh, I don't think that it's going to be something that is going to happen nationally, and I don't think that it's, it's going to be something. It, it's going to be something to happen nationally um, due to the uh, the the large national cultural mindset of Christopher Columbus um, being a form of a, a, a white forefather. It's just uh, amazing, yeah. Even though he's he's Italian and yeah. he was only at the Cari- in the Caribbean um, right. and didn't speak English, uh, and and uh, given all that's going on with uh, white consciousness and it gripping and trying to hold on to its power structure. For Christopher Columbus to go down at this point, I mean, I think it will happen at some, it might happen at some point, and I say might, but for it to go down at this point would be, uh, it would be much larger than a General Lee statue or Stonewall Jackson statue going down. It's because Um, of programming, isn't it? uh, Yeah, well, it's it's programming, heritage, all of that stuff. Um, well, it's gone down in nine. I just wanted to to read the nine major cities in which have changed mm-hmm. the day okay. from Columbus Day to in, Indigenous Peoples Day. So you got Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, Portland, Oregon, St. Paul, Minnesota, in addition to L.A., Sacramento, Seattle, Washington, and Anadarko, Anadarko, Oklahoma, and Olympia, Washington. So, so I, I imagine what happens on Columbus Day. So it, you got a, this influx of uh, of Latin Americans, right, who are basically your exploited working class. You need them. And then you have this day of Columbus Day where you're celebrating. You're celebrating the fact that they're under your foot. Think about that. Opt, those optics. You, you you understand what I'm yep, saying? Yep. And so and so um in those places where where they are a a, a, a strong a strong working population I, I I think that that's where you know that's where um you would you would see those kinds of things. And I think for it to happen nationally uh it would we would have to turn over as far as the population goes nationally for that to first happen. And then um, then the politicians would either have to be replaced by people from that demographic 
or be heavily influenced by people in that demographic. But I don't think it's going to be a consciousness thing. I think it's going to be a we're afraid of turmoil. Uh, any more turmoil, but I, I also but that's everything in America. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I also want to say that um, I I do think though that it's important uh, to acknowledge uh, Indigenous uh, Americans because um, or Indigenous Peoples Day. It is very important. It's critical to acknowledge that history because that is the history of this body of body of land that hasn't that's only celebrated as a uh, the name of a football team or a logo for a baseball team or as a mascot. Or in this area, uh, Indian Head Highway and, and terrible names like that. Yeah. So Wow, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah I forgot about ridiculous. Indian Head Highway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I think that for the consciousness of uh, the consciousness of the United States uh, for the American power structure, for the white power structure, these things are very important because it's gonna it it, it 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 chips away at the myth <laughs> Uh, of this of 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 white history, uh, yeah. Because you know. really, you transition America from being an extension of Europe to actually being a multicultural, multi-ethnic nation. Because like we say that, but in actuality, it's just an extension of Europe. Well, so when things like this happen, I think it does chip away at that. Yeah, and myth. It you know it's important. I think it's important for 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 the listener audience to be able to to search and look at a map of the United States and then look at where these different people groups live, uh, how many white people there are in the country, how many uh, people of African descent, uh, black people are in this country, what is the difference between blacks of multi-origin or blacks of a singular origin, uh, 13.3% versus 145 or 6%. Understand those things. How many indigenous Americans, which by the way, Latin Americans or Mexican Americans will fall into that just yep. like Native Americans. If people so, weren't so ashamed it, of being called Indios, they the, would realize a lot, you know, a the lot majority of people. Of the, yeah. yeah, a lot of people are mestizos yeah. or basically native the, or or indigenous in their heritage. Absolutely. There's no real such thing as brown and red people. They're the same people. Now, from there, you have all these different tr- groups, right, that are at times referred to as, as tribes, tribes. You have all these different uh, ethnicities, um, but there is no historically real difference. And a Mexican person is uh, a, com- uh, a person with a heritage that is both uh, Native American uh, and Spanish, Spanish from Spain. Right. Spain. Spain is not in Central America. It's not in South America. Right. Spain would be considered white. Uh-huh. So it's in Europe, yeah. yeah, yeah. Spain is in so, Europe. So when you go around and you see somebody as Latin American or El Salvadorian or whatever, they speak Spanish and you call them Spanish. That's actually incorrect. They're not Spanish. That's like calling me English, which that is, is certainly that is not exactly the case. Exactly like I remember you watching English, the interview yes. of a. a <clears throat> Spanish person from Central and South America. I a Spanish-speaking person? A Spanish-speaking person. <laughs> but I only bring it up, say it like that, because they literally hit on that. It was when 45 had first gotten elected and began, and they went to that southern, southwestern part of the country and began to interview people. And the gentleman, one of the gentlemen that they interviewed, they were like, how do you like to be addressed? Like, how do you like to be identified? And he actually said a lot of that population do not like the term Latin America because it still is a connection to Europe. They said, you know, we like to be referred to by our tribe. So I'm Chicano. It's like, I like to be identified as Chicano, not Latin American because Latin still points to Europe. And I was like, mm-hmm. wow, that's amazing. 
Um, you know, so it, I think it's related to what we talked about earlier, where seeing themselves as one people, not the lines drawn on maps, but seeing themselves like, nah, you know, Chicano might spill from Mexico into the U.S. and into El Salvador, but, you know, I'm not sure where all those people's live now but and that's an education that we probably need exactly yeah well that's why i like that lately i've been able to see it's it's been on uh, social media and media in general uh i like to see that north america map i don't know if you all have seen it yet that shows the native american ethnicities and where they were before this place got carved up yeah Yeah. before the french and the spanish and the british and the dutch and all these groups came and, and snatched um and uh snatched north america and put their flags down and in the same type of map could exist for the whole hemisphere and i think that's one of the biggest uh things to say about this name or the name of this holiday changing even though columbus never set foot on the north american continent and even though he wasn't even the first to come over here from another right. place of course we have mansa musa from west africa uh who sent his delegation and they landed in central america and then they they never returned we have uh leif erickson up in the in in northern europe North, yeah. we have Amerigo vespucci we have all kinds of people but columbus mm-hmm. arriving yeah yeah the I mean, you know the, the columbus arriving and enslaving the taino people and uh, take snatching some and taking them back to Europe. Just, just the impact of Columbus. Well, you said it earlier. You said that he was the gateway for colonialism and imperialism. That's what makes his presence in the quote-unquote new world different yeah. than some of those other individuals that we spoke of. Yeah, so, and that's, so I can understand on the one hand, that's the reason that so many countries in this hemisphere will celebrate a Columbus right. Day, uh, but that's also a reason to, when you look at the real history of Columbus and what he did and how he had people mining for gold and chopping off limbs when not enough gold was mined, and just, just all of the terrible things that a lot of people have not learned, and and a lot of people would consider this to be a revisionist history when actually what they had been learning about the greatness of Columbus was revisionist. I'm, I'm glad you bring up, I'm going to read what they have one of his quotes in the yeah, Washington yeah. Post article. And because you're exactly right, a lot of what we know about Columbus is revisionist history. And what they have is one of his actual quotes, which is actual history. So this is from Cristobal Colon, which is his Italian name. We Americanized it and call him I like the way you Col- threw your hand up and, you know, you said Cristobal Colon. <laughs> Cristobal Colon. This Colum, is what, U.S. Columbus. <laughs> mm. this, is, this is what he said. He says, or one of the things that he stated. The Indians are so naive and so free with their possessions that no one... No one who has not witnessed them would believe it. He called them Indians because they assumed they were in Asia. Uh, When you ask for something they have, they never say no. To the contrary, they offer to share with anyone. They would make fine servants. With 50 men, we could subjugate them and make them do whatever we want. Now, that's a direct quote from Cristobal Colon. Now, why, why bring that up? Bring that up for... Definitely, obviously, because it's pertinent to to this discussion. But Christopher Columbus was not just a oh, you know, a, a wide eyed explorer just going to look to venture out. He was going with a specific purpose. If you read Howard Zinn's book, The People's History of the United States, recommended for everybody on yes, planet Earth. Please read that because what Howard talks about is 
Cristobal's first voyage to Hispaniola before 1492. You know, we're all taught in 1492 Columbus, but there was another expedition before that, and that's where he makes this statement. In 1491, he makes this statement, and then they come back in 1492 with those 50 men and begin the subjugation of indigenous peoples on the island of Hispaniola. So I think that it's good, not just that Christopher Columbus Day is being dismantled, but that it's being specifically replaced with Indigenous Peoples Day. Yeah, we need to understand that 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 trip and his subsequent trips established a colony for the country of Spain. And Europe was going through a lot of competition during this age of exploration and this post um, this post uh, or this imperialist time and this. um, Oh, man. Um, but this post um, re- uh, uh, Renaissance time, okay. yeah, uh, where you, so Spain gets over here, and then it, all of this land is here. Yes, Portugal comes, the Dutch come, the British come. Before you know it, this continent and this hemisphere is overrun. And so the reason that um, yes, Christopher Columbus is celebrated, but also the reason that we think that his celebration, or I think his celebration, needs to be revisited, is because of the terrible impact that happened as a result of the scramble for the Americas. We're, all three of us are sitting in this room because of that. Because of that. That's what allowed uh, the British and other Europeans to come down into West Africa, trade with the, the West... Spanish and the French because of Hispaniola. Well, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Of course, Hispaniola specifically, mm-hmm. but the Portuguese came first. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you, they were followed by the other European groups. Everybody's scrambling for lands all over the world, but they're also scrambling for labor. Uh, they stole land in the Western Hemisphere. They're scrambling for labor in order to work that land. That is the only reason that we are sitting, that all three of us are sitting in the same room. Otherwise, we would still be, unless somebody had followed and done the same at a, date or a later date, uh, we, that's the only reason that we're even right. here. So, there, so Christopher Columbus is very influential in what he did and what he sparked off is influential. There's no doubt about that. But we need to determine if we have a moral stance on him. And if we do... Yes, we should honor the people who were eventually almost completely wiped out as a result, as opposed to honoring the the person who murdered people, which I know that that's, you know, not popular, but that's actually what happened. Uh, I think, and just to, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, and then I'm going to dismantle that devil's advocate (laughs) argument. Avery will probably get to that first. Because there's there's people who will say, well, that's a slippery slope, right? Every historical figure, you can find something that they did that that, that wasn't right. The problem with that line of thinking and that logic is, let's say you bring up somebody like Thomas Jefferson. Let's just, I'm going to pull him out of a hat. And you say, I can't celebrate Thomas Jefferson because he had slaves and he had Sally Hemming and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you extract Sally Hemings from his story, there are still other things that you can celebrate about Thomas Jefferson. He was one of the founders of this country. There are other signing of the Constitution, Declaration of Independence, yada, yada, yada. You extract this from Cristobal Colon, there is very little for him to be celebrated. There's, there's almost nothing. He's still a minor explorer exactly. in, in, in the Mediterranean. He's a bit player on the map. If you extract this piece, so that's why that line and, and that logic is nonsensical because there's nothing else from his existence that is to be celebrated or propped up the fact of the matter is the only thing of note that he did was he was the catalyst for 
colonialism and imperialism in the Western Hemisphere. Now, for that, if if you're twisted enough to want to prop that up, which this country has been since 1937, sure, go ahead and do that. But when you extract that piece, there's essentially nothing else for him to even really be mentioned historically. He's just, you know, he's another guy, just another guy, because he wasn't the first and he wasn't the last, just another guy. But what he was, he was that catalyst for like that train of thought, like what I mentioned in in his quote, that train of thought to realize, oh, we can come and enslave these people. They'll make fun. Like, how do you think that when you first meet a, a new people group, they'll make fine servants? Those are those are the it's kind hospitality. of hospitality. He basically turned hospitality on its head and said, oh, let's see how we can take advantage of these people. Perfect example. Yes. So this week, you know, something else that that has really become an irritant for me. Um, It's been a mild irritant, you know, over the last few years of my life. But I think since Charlottesville, um, it's it's become more. I say, you know, still irritant, but it's it's become more than mild. It's it's now become a major irritant for me. And that is when, you know, movements and things for black justice, you know, black justice movements get co-opted it gets co-opted by other groups and all of a sudden it becomes this multi you know national thing you know i know um tariq nasheed talks about this all the time i follow him on twitter because dude he gets a little out there sometimes but every once in a while it's like yo that's that's a good point because he you know a lot of times he'll say where were y'all back when blank you know but now it's all come on black folks help us out too it's like well where were y'all at blank so anyway, I, I say that because since Charlottesville, you know, Charlottesville happened a couple weeks ago, and what has really been irritating me about the way that it's been covered, and I think this probably goes to, you know, something that Avery talks about a lot, which is we don't control, you know, we, we don't control the structure of things, is how Charlottesville has been, you know, now it's portrayed as if it's this Nazi Jewish thing. Um... And that's really been irritating to me. Um, yes, there were guys with Nazi flags and doing the, the little Hitler salute, you know, Heil Trump and all of that, and that's fine. But when 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 we do that, I'm that, not about fine, but but I see well, what you're it's saying. It's not fine. I mean, but it's understandable. I, I I understand what they were doing. But when we do that, when we turn this into, oh, it's like the Nazis coming after the Jews in the Holocaust. What when when we do that, that detracts from what they actually are, which are white supremacists, right? When we do that, we can shift the focus to Germany like it's this far off thing. And it's like, yo, I'm not here for that. Like I, I understand what Jews went through in the Holocaust. It was terrible. If you ever go to the Holocaust Museum, your life will be changed. I get you know, I get it. I process that. But that's not what I'm here for right now. I'm not here. I'm, we're not here for that. We're here because there were white supremacists coming against black people because we wanted to take down Confederate statues. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I'm here for. I'm not here. So I saw so many articles, like news articles, newspaper articles, interviews, where they were like interviewing like Jewish people. Oh, what do you think? This is, I'm like, yo, what? Like, I was like, is this Trump being co-opted right now? Like, are they really about to co-opt this Charlottesville thing right now when, when this is not what it was about? 
it was not about that. It was about the fact that these Confederate statues still represent the era of slavery and post-slavery and Reconstruction and all the things that happened through Jim Crow. Like, that's what we're talking about. And now it's been co-opted to talk about this other thing, which is now getting more coverage and more coverage. And the original thing is getting less coverage and less coverage. So it's a pattern, honestly. It's a pattern. And we just happen to be living through this particular iteration of the pattern. But when you look throughout American history, just like most things that we see right now, there has been something that has happened consistently. And honestly, when you back up, it supports the plutocracy that has existed in this country all along. So what happened when this country was started is that an elite class was established, as we had said in the past, and everyone else was, all the other people were put in positions to, uh, to, to be, to serve the elite, uh, to to serve the elite class. Yeah, basically to serve the elite class, and mm-hmm. part of the way that the elite class could uh, exercise their power is to keep those people divided. And so, when you have a a, a a land mass that is stolen, and then you have people who are stolen in order to work that land mass, one of the things that you have to do is undermine the struggle of those people who you put in that position of struggle in the first place. And so that has happened over and over again, even when our parents were coming up. And the slavery wasn't so bad, you know, the people were happy, that's why they were dancing and singing. And that was the narrative that our parents, even black parents, were given. And then previously, uh, when you have birth of a nation, and you, there are just so many, um, there, there's, there's the so many. The original birth of yeah, a nation. Yeah, of course, not of the, course. Yeah. Not the one that, was, uh, that came out a couple of years ago. So over time, in addition to oppressing an entire people group generationally and throughout centuries, in addition to doing something as bad as that, you also have to create a narrative that says things are not as bad. And you do that in part by, by marginalizing their experience. And this, what you're talking about right now, is just one of the ways uh, you kind of detract, as you said, attention from the real issue which is that we're having a surge yet again of white nationalism, of this fear of, of certain groups or a certain group of people losing the power that they had gained by brute force in the first place. This is, so you have this fear, and right now we're at another iteration of that. And this is against black people. But no, we want to, or our country wants to kind of detract a little bit, maybe to soften the blow. And this is a part of a uh, of the pattern that I just mentioned. Yeah. It also reminds me of you know when Black Lives Matter first came on the scene a couple of years ago. It's like okay, I I'm I'm with you. I'm vibing Black Lives Matter. Yes, let's go ahead and get this police brutality thing under control. I think it's way out of hand. You know, I actually talked to some older black folks at my job when it like first started to pop off, and Mike Brown and. Eric Garner, and re- yeah, and Trayvon, when it really started to really get some steam, if you talk to a lot of older black folks, they're like, oh, Marty, this was going on like a thousand times worse. Y'all just got cameras now in, tw- in, in the 21st century, like, but 60s, 70s, 80s, like, I mean, they were, you know, they were using, you know, derogatory language. It was just like pretty much cops were killing in and just keep it moving. Now, you know, now you have cameras and cell phones where people can see all this stuff, but this is not you know, a new phenomenon. But so Black Lives Matter first comes on the scene and then it gets co-opted by liberals. Then it gets co-opted by liberals and all of a sudden it's gay lives matter and all lives matter. Blue lives matter. It's like, yo, I'm not here for that. 
again, I understand your plight. I understand that there's a situation for gay people in this country, and that's another discussion. I understand that there's, you know, a situation where there, there may be other situations for everybody, but that's not why we're here. And again, it's like when we come here for a specific reason, right? When I come to my math class for the final exam, it's not all tests matter, right? I'm not here for that. We are here to deal with this one specific issue, which was the targeting of African-American men by police, which statistically show African-American men are like 60% more likely to have a bad encounter with the police. So that's why we're here. But then the drink gets co-opted and it's like, it, and it gets co-opted by liberals. We always think it's all oh, the Republicans, but this got co-opted by liberals. And all of a sudden, it got turned into something else. And I've just seen this, like like we said, I've seen the pattern. I've seen the, the, the pattern over and over and over again. So after Charlottesville, you know, this joint just kind of was like, Ugh. it's almost like when when can there be a moment where we just deal with this thing and this thing only? In addition to that, we have to be the ones, and this is not, this is not fair, but we have to be the ones to help the rest of the world see things through our eyes yet again. So you have the person who made the meme recently where uh, because of the flooding that's going on in Houston and people saying pray for Houston, uh, they, they sort of made an animated uh, meme that said, you know, uh, having a problem with Black with Black Lives Matter is like saying you won't pray for Houston because all cities matter. So as usual, we have to be the ones ones to put out something that makes perfect sense and 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 finagle everything so that we can help people understand our plight. Here we are again. So we have to put out a, a meme like that. Yes, I think people understand that saying all cities matter does not make any sense in light of the fact that the people of Houston are suffering. And so maybe that will help people understand, like, how far do we have to go? How many, how many memes do we have to make in order to reach out uh, to people who just don't get it? Yeah, not, the, not, the Nazi symbol is definitely polarizing um, with, uh, with uh, um, Jewish-owned media. Uh, they clearly have opportunities to change the narrative and... Um, where because we don't necessarily control our messaging as uh, African-Americans, you know, you think about Black Lives Matter and outside of going to a protest or right or, or, or participating personally, of which I've had those experiences, much of the information that we receive, we receive through a media outlet that are not that is not controlled by people who by black people by people who are sympathetic to the cause. So if you think about us as black people as African Americans who we've received that messaging of Black Lives Matter, the imaging, the the images of the the the, the shootings and the deaths, and outside of what was shared and texted to you, uh, we got that from CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. And all Maybe these not other, Fox News, though. No, I mean, I'm, you know, like all these, all of these outlets that have, again, controlled by these singular entities, mm-hmm. and then um, proliferated and syndicated and dispatched through the country in order to tell a certain story in a certain way. And for example, Baltimore uprising, riot, whatever you want to call it. Ferguson, like when these things happen, it's not 
for example, Baltimore had tanks. So did so did um, Ferguson. But Baltimore had, had tanks and the SWAT team and whatnot. That wasn't all of Baltimore. That was like west of Baltimore, yeah, a I couple mean, of blocks. Oh, yeah, 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 around Mondawmin Mall, uh, and it was a very small sliver of this of an area of of Baltimore, but it gets broadcasted like you, like it's like it's a, a civil war, and that's not to diminish what's happening in Baltimore at all, but. Because we don't necessarily have people who come from where we're from and understand uh, why people are angry, then things get reported a certain way. It gets reported like it's Syria, <laughs> right. you know? And, yeah. and Like it's Lebanon or something. Yeah, yeah and yeah. oh, if only these black folks had jobs, and oh, they're so poor, and oh, and they said, well, 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 no, no, actually, the issue is is that the police keep abusing uh, this group of people. And uh, we would like these abuses to stop. And these are, these, these are, those are the issues that, the, 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 that need to be broadcasted. But because you don't have someone that's sympathetic to your cause, you don't get that. And so that's why when you have something like Charlottesville um, pop off and then these Nazi signs start, start floating around, then... The media is trying to like quelch that something that they started right, or they didn't start it, but they caused it. They caused the mass hysteria by amplifying these. This, you know, they um, fan the flame. They yeah. fan the yeah. flame. Yeah. yeah, and so, and so, um, but now it's kind of like, uh oh, my house starting to get on fire because we certainly don't want anti. You know, uh, we don't we don't want anti-Semitic. Pro- yeah. We don't want to proliferate an anti-Jewish uh, 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 um, tone. Uh, within our within anywhere, so we then turn it into well, let's address this issue nationally and let's let's squash all this Nazi stuff. So yeah, that's a good that's that's definitely good. Yeah, let's go ahead and squash all that Nazi stuff. Well, white supremacist is cool, but don't start getting right because yeah, I yeah. benefit from that because yeah. you know, um, uh, yeah. But but when it comes so so and then again, you know, black people get pushed to the back of the bus. A bus that we might have bought, you know, and paid, you know what I'm saying? If it's our Boy, bus, yep. all of and but then we get pushed to the bus. back of our own bus. Like, yeah, we yeah. we got it from here, guys. Go ahead and sit down. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking yeah. speaking of um, you know, of basically taking somebody else's story, you know, just like we were saying with the Native Americans before. We don't know if, if Native Americans had co signed on the uh desire to have a uh, an indigenous people's day but this but if they didn't then it's similar to to this let's let's take uh someone else's um story or idea or even honor someone else in a sort of neo-colonial way so it's the same mindset and you know what it what it reminds me of is Kaepernick's situation because when when a situation that's for Black justice, and I apologize for all the listeners. We're getting real black today. This is this this is the pro black episode. Um, when it's when it's a situation that cannot be co opted as easily, is protected by the red, the black, and the green <laughs> with the key. <laughs> but when it's when it's when it's a uh, when it's a a situation for black justice that cannot be co opted 
it's almost like it's just left like, all right, honey, it's okay. Go on and sit down over there. It's like, so you you have the Kaepernick situation, which is something that really, it doesn't lend itself to co-opting as much because he's specifically like, nope, I'm taking a knee for police brutality against black folk. Nope, taking a knee. I'm going to continue to kneel, you know, whatever. And what you have is you're presented with the the circumstance of this guy has an issue, not just this guy, but you know what I mean, he's just a representation, is bringing to the forefront an issue that is not necessarily as easily relatable to other issues, right? The the white supremacy thing in Charlotte, once they start coming out with the high, you know, Trump joint and the Nazi flags, you can easily make the correlation, right, to Nazi Germany, Holocaust, etc. What Kaepernick is doing, you don't really see the correlation to any issue except the one that he wants you to deal with. And because it's not one that majority culture wants to deal with, it's just kind of pushed over to the corner, right, and just left. So, so let's let's boil it down. Um, what what is it that they don't want to deal with? What is it that majority culture doesn't want to deal with? They don't want to deal with the reality, the reality of the police, the negative police interaction with black people that is statistically shown. Mm-hmm. NFL ownership doesn't want to deal with that, which oh, it's their right, even though it sucks. It's their right to do so. You know, this is the United States of America. If these guys who own a for-profit entity are saying, we don't want to bring you in. You, because you make us have to face a reality that we don't really want to face. Which so, is police brutality. Which is police well, but brutality. Police, but but, uh, but um, majority culture is also being propagandized concerning those, those numbers and those statistics that you're talking about. So, for example, what's going on right now is people are putting memes out and other forms of media that say actually more white men have been abused by police than black men. So what are these folks talking about? As usual, these folks are being, um, you know, are, are scapegoating white people as usual. So, uh, so it's not, they're not just operating alone as a majority culture. They're being, um, they're, they're being propagandized too. In terms of percentages, I was talking because sixty percent more like. But in terms of raw numbers, yes, because there's more white people in the country. But again, there's so just going to be more. Yeah, you know. and there's so many, so many uh, types of. Uh, there, there's so many different types of evidence supposedly that would cause them to to kind of push the 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 what Kaepernick is saying to the side and say as usual for hundreds of years these people have been so paranoid and here we go again. So I just wanted just wanted to mention that people aren't the majority culture isn't ignoring him um, on their own. They're not getting okay. You know, getting these ideas on their own. Somebody stepping back and feeding them. They're being persuaded to not. Yeah. To, okay. Yeah, and okay. and I'm not saying it's not their fault for allowing that persuasion, but right. but we're what we're doing if we step back and or if we just peek behind the curtain, we're we're in a culture and in a country where there are people who are in charge, at least of various narratives, and they're feeding that to the masses. And just like you were saying before, Avery, the masses are fighting amongst themselves. Okay, so now what the NFL is being presented with is the possibility that white players are going to now get involved in the in the protest. Because what you had, you know, last week, the there was a big section of the Cleveland Browns team that took a knee during the national anthem, and one of those players was a white player, Sean DeValve. 
um, whose wife is actually African-American and she wrote an article. I forget the publication she wrote the article in. Um, but you know, she was saying how her and her husband had had these conversations for like the last year and it, she had begun to see his, you know, he really got a better understanding of the situation just from them talking. And so she said how, you know, she was just very proud when she saw her husband taking a knee with his um, black teammates. Um, so he, there's one. But again, he's Sean DeValve. Nobody even knows who that is. Uh, but now you have Aaron Rodgers, one of the faces of the league who comes out this week and makes a statement about Cap and says, the reason that Kaepernick isn't even getting a tryout is because of his political stance. Um, so do you guys think that that's going to present a problem? I, I, well, two things. Do you think it's going to present a problem to the NFL if prominent white players begin to voice issue and concern? And then two, do you think that if more prominent white players begin to voice concern that his issue may get co-opted? Uh... Hmm. Well, if more prominent white players express concern, I I would I would venture to say that there would be um more awareness um for what Colin Kaepernick was standing for. I don't necessarily think that it would well, it could possibly I that's just a weird question to answer, quite honestly. Uh, because I don't necessarily think that it would lead to a tryout, not that that's what you were asking, but I also don't think that a tryout is the point. Like I don't think him work him him playing football is the point. I think that that, that conversation kind of co-opted what Colin Kaepernick is is, 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 is his message. And uh, I think that that is, again, trying to throw black people trinkets to shut them up. Um, I think that uh, as far as it getting co-opted, though, what would be the co-option? What would be the, what, what would that be? If, if, or are if you more asking prominent that white players, well, yeah, no, that's the question. So the question is, is that if more prominent white players started speaking about why Kalanick, Kalanick why Kaepernick, is uh, not playing, that would be the co-option? Yeah, because now it would become their issue about Kaepernick playing, playing. as opposed right. to Kaepernick's issue with police brutality. Yeah, I think it's, it's an easy conversation to have. So for sure, instead of actually dealing with the issue, because I mean, and I, admittedly, I did not read um, the the Aaron Rodgers article, uh, but I'll ask you, did you read it? No, it was a like a press conference. Or something. It wasn't an article. Well, it was an article on ESPN. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was called like the something of Aaron Rodgers, something, something the shadow. I can't remember exactly, but anyway, it was an article. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, I think that uh, Colin Kaepernick raises a very, a very, very, very uh, important issue. Uh, and it's an opportunity for the, for uh, the NFL to deal with something that um, needs to be dealt with, and right. that is that is um, the fair treatment uh, or um, equitable treatment of African Americans within this country is an opportunity that that they have um, to to. To take it to take advantage of, yeah, he's really looking to raise awareness. Well, 
Well, yeah, but it's it's unfortunate because the NFL's oil comes from the black community, right? Like their raw material comes from that thirteen point three percent. Seventy two percent of the NFL is African American. Their raw material, their raw material comes from this small segment of the population, but their concern about so so they should they should just morally care about their their workers who are <laughs> really contractors you're but talking whatever. about morality yeah, uh, I, in, a, in a capitalist society I, yeah and uh, morality more i'm i'm talking about morality in society and this it is it is certain attitudes that add that capitalistic thing and say oh business is neither moral nor immoral but amoral does do, does what is best for the interests of the shareholders and uh, i think that I think that that right there is a, uh, dare I say, a sinful attitude and mindset because interests are people. Interests are people. Businesses yeah. are not these uh, robots that are floating around, these soulless robots. It's groups of people, mm-hmm. right? It's invented. It's a, mind, it's a whole concept invented by human beings. and um, But it's, it's treated as if it's like, uh, lo- like gravity or... Uh, precious stones out of the out of the, the the center of the earth, and no, it's people. People are doing these things, and so the NFL has an opportunity uh, to at least raise uh, awareness or to show that it cares about um, the people in which that have made the NFL product. But we know that they don't want to do it, and these owners don't want to do this because they are afraid of offending the majority white fan base. Yep. So you season have ticket a, holders, season, et cetera. season ticket holders. You got the problem. You got the problem. So it, what's sad about it is, is that these people, these people, uh, will it would it they talking about like if you just dealt with it, you probably you would take a short term hit financially, but. You would have a long term, long term results, better positive results in the country. Now, it might, it might not affect your bottom line like positively, but you have an opportunity to do something that is uh, very important, far more important than football and causing CTE and all of those CTE, the concussions and the deterioration of oh, yeah. your brain. Oh, yeah, yeah, of your brain. Like it's an opportunity, but because they are afraid to not miss a dollar, to not miss a cent, it's absolutely uh, um, uh, horrible, horrifying, and disgusting uh, that they won't do anything to sacrifice Sunday. And this is part of the reason I'm also proud of the white the white allies who are taking these types of stances because they realize when you're a white ally and I definitely do not promote one group allying more than the other and and giving more attention to a person who dies on our behalf who happens to be of another race than a person who's been you know who's been uh, or a group of people who've been dying all along. However, one of the things that they see clearly, Aaron Rodgers and others, is that they're on the same boat. The reality is the NFL is one boat and for someone not to come out against or in favor of one of their colleagues being able to protest uh, is going to eventually affect them. So I want to say this because everything kind of connects. Um, I hope I don't sound like I'm taking over the podcast. Take over. It's more than just raising awareness, although that's a that's an important thing, and that's the at least the least the minimal of what the NFL could do, right? It broadcasts all across the world. 
But really the answer is is to chill on the police brutality, right? But the thing is, then somebody says, well, how do you do that? You know, the, the, the police is not like you can't. You can't dictate what the police are doing on the state and local level. You can only set do things on the federal level. Well, well, one thing that can be done is to actually figure out how you can address the police on a state and local level, especially if the NFL is in these cities, right? Like that's one thing that you can do. But the other thing that you can do is address the criminal justice system because if the criminal justice system is addressed then the police have different incentives so that they're not bodying people as much as as they do and that would that yes. would help to change the society overall this is an right? industrial complex yeah. this is a prison industrial complex and what feeds the prison industrial complex is what the cops do on the street so now though you do have like this cyclical uh you have this cycle right where uh, you can even make the argument that if they fight to fix the conditions, then they don't have as many players that are beholden to want to play in the NFL because our societies aren't as strapped, right? Everybody's not trying to get out of a Everybody's hood. Everybody's to go not and trying to get NFL out of Chirac, exactly, or or or, or Bed Stuy uh, or wherever, wherever Queen Sugar is, you know. <laughs> oh, down in, in the, uh, New Orleans, New someplace. Orleans, or yeah, 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 or, or the Gulf Coast, or you know where a lot of these NFL players come from. Yep, equity can repair so it can have a domino effect that repairs so many wrong elements of our society and pull society up in general. So yeah, and I want to say I also want to say like you know when we talk about these things. It, Sometimes people argue, well, what's the solution? What's the solution? Now, it That's is. That's their way of telling you to shut up, by the well, way. Well, yeah. It because is. the problem hasn't been fully addressed. It is. All right, what's it, the solution? No. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it is. It is. It is. That's them to say, hurry up and shut up. But and so the thing is, is that it is beholden, I think, on us who bring up an issue to uh, try to research a solution. But that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, if even if you don't have a solution, uh, the, the because you don't necessarily have a solution or an answer that you shouldn't raise the question. Yeah, like that's the the answer comes after the question. The question is preceded by the answer. Exactly. So sometimes you might not necessarily have the solution, but you know it's a problem. Journalist Stacey Patton just said this. She said people are always asking her about solutions, and she has plenty of them. But what you you already know that the underlying motive in asking that is to shut her up when they keep on asking that and not fully exploring the problem. So, so, so the next thing I want to say is that um, uh, a lot of times, just because you you ask what the solution is, right? Just because someone you ask that question, probably because you don't know what the solution is, right? Well, just because you don't know the answer does not mean the answer does not exist. Yeah, it's not unknowable. That is what books are for. There are books that exist. That address these very issues. Next time, next time somebody asks you for a solution, take the Michelle Alexander book and throw it at their forehead. Yeah, there's, there's, um, or the Tanahasi Coates book, which is also excellent, and throw it at their forehead. There's Michelle Alexander. There's, um, uh, um, there are black scholars. Galore. No, no, I just had her name. Yeah, uh, Angela Davis. Oh yeah. There are. Uh, innumerable people who I can't bring up right yep. now. Uh, but if you have a question about something, 
uh, or you'd like to know the answer, do a search for it. What are uh, alternative restorative justice uh, plans, right? Alternatives to prison. You can just type that and search that. There are, there are answers that are out here. The question is, is uh, are people willing to, to, to do those things? I think what you need, you know, is for people, and when when people who are in power, um, and and by power I mean wealth, you know, most of the real power is in the wealth. It's not in you know these pseudo government institutions. Is when you have people who are in power with wealth, they can begin to put, they can apply a certain level of pressure. That you know the average Joe cannot. You know, mm-hmm. the example that I think correlates directly to this is remember last year, no, two years ago when North Carolina signed the bathroom law. So what happened in North Carolina? The NBA took the All Star game out of North Carolina. The NCAA took the ACC tournament out of North Carolina. NASCAR took a race out of North Carolina. There were people telling me who I knew who lived there, like the North Carolina uh, budget. I mean, like. The amount of money that was lost to that state in a matter of one calendar year was like hundreds of millions of dollars. That brings politicians back to the table to begin to renegotiate these things. So why am I bringing that up? Because it's, as it pertains to police brutality, you know, if if all of the players in a particular city, you're talking about Eric Garner, was choked to death on the streets of New York, Staten Island. If all the players on the Giants, the Jets, the Knicks, the Nets, the Yankees, the mountain were just black players. Just talking about black players. We're not playing until you owners put some pressure on these New York politicians to put to force the New York City Police Department to revisit the way that they engage with the community. We're not going to play. It won't take long because now you're being. I believe you would affect people who have enough wealth to begin to put enough pressure on politicians. Me and you sitting by ourselves, even somebody like Kaepernick, who is a quote-unquote millionaire, still don't have enough. They'll just push him to the side. Still, still not really enough. You know, it takes numbers. When, when you don't have power, what you need to have is numbers. And you have to get numbers to, to begin to affect people to have wealth and power to begin to apply pressure to these government officials because it's not in their benefit. The, those who are in power, right, those who sit at the top of the power structure, they're at the top of the power structure. So it's not in their benefit to change that structure. You, you talked about bringing that equity. Well, in order for you to come up, that means I'm going to come down and there's going to be some kind of median. Absolutely. I'm not trying to come down. Absolutely. So I'm going to work as hard as I can to keep you as low as I can mm-hmm. so that there is no median. So what has to happen is there has to be enough of us at the bottom where we can apply, begin to apply pressure to the ones at the top to force them to even consider maybe that you know but before we even get to real change they're not even considering change right now you see what i'm saying that's why the kaepernick thing is interesting because it's not even about oh his skill level and this and that they're not even bringing him in to try out they're like yo we ain't even gonna try him out and that's we have what. that bill's quarterback who just fell off we have quarterbacks falling off falling and off right. no yeah and nobody is saying is thinking to bring kaepernick in even as a backup there's not enough pressure it's not enough pressure for them to do anything so they'll just kind of go on that's why i brought up aaron Rodgers. that's, that's why i brought up some because i'm like well if the Aaron Rodgers of the world, if the Tom Brady's of the world, even though I doubt it because he wants to make America great again, but even the, you know Aaron Rodgers are just players of that level. 
if they were, because remember, Aaron Rodgers has to go into a locker room with the majority black players who probably talk about this stuff on the personal level. Like he has to live in that world. So I'm just wondering if those kinds of players get impacted enough, can that, you know, begin to force the NFL to at a minimum ownership level, look at these things and consider these things and talk about these things as opposed to brushing them under the rug. You know, even if you don't do anything, I think that the fact that somebody at an NFL owner level might even be discussing it, like tossing it around, I think that's a step in the right direction. Because right now, they just like, whatever. They so looking. you think Steve Bugatti was a uh, – Bugatti. Steve Biscotti, uh, <laughs> the owner of uh-huh. the owner of the Ravens, was talking about it, um, even though they decided to pass on Colin Kaepernick. You think that that was a step in the right direction? No, nah, because I don't really think he was talking about it. Because okay. I don't think he ever really seriously considered it. Mm-hmm. So he might have just thrown it out there yeah, just to see what the type of reaction would be. Yeah. And then he got lip. his reaction. Exactly. That was lip service. They wasn't really considering it. They brought in a guy who was doing real estate. That's the, the the dude that they brought in in lieu of Kaepernick was selling real estate the week before. That tells me you wasn't really consider you wasn't even considering the drink. You know, I really like I really like the way both of you and just the this I think that the people who are listeners to this podcast are starting to realize, especially if they're idealists like myself, that when you live in a society like this that runs on capital, we need to be real. Very few people in general, are going to just do something out of the goodness of their heart. There's this furniture store owner down in Houston, um, and I'm not saying that he's not getting any sort of money from from his uh, insurance company or anything like that, but he does not have to open up his nice furniture store yeah, yeah. Uh, for who knows what to come in there and sleep you know, for weeks or however long on his you know, wonderful uh, uh, soft mattresses, etc. So you have some people like that man who display been, models, you know, yes. dis- yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, who there are always people who can say, oh, well, he, you know, he's not, it's not as bad, he's not um, going under or whatever. But the reality is, here I go with the reality again. <laughs> but, <laughs> but what the reality happens, is, yeah. <laughs> but, but my point is, is that in a society like ours that has a singular incentive for you to keep your head above water or even to thrive, we need to be real. Do not expect people, much less godless people, but people in general, to uh, to do something without a financial incentive and do not expect to punish people without withholding that finance, that, that financial element uh, and expect to be successful. So instead of being idealistic, which I think we've been just as a people for a long time, right. even though we've not gotten much out of it, let's step back and be real and say, if we're going to make a change, we have to affect the dollar. Yeah, I mean, so I, I think that's a, a real good thought to close on. I mean, I think you're you're exactly right that we have to lower. Unfortunately, it sounds really negative, but you have to lower your expectations of people. And you know, I, from a moral standpoint, from a, a moral mm-hmm. standpoint, because you know, it is not particularly people. You know, I say it, and I you know, and I know to many of you, I'll sound naive, but to people who are not believers, to people who are godless, it is not in their interest to do it, and they're not going to do it. And so, when you see that mattress owner, that is an anomaly. Um, so what we have to do, you know, I put the onus again on Christians like Christians. What what say you? Why? You know, what are you doing? What are you saying at your level? I'm not expecting you to change the whole country or change the world. But at your level, what are you doing to combat these things? What what are you doing to 
you know, hopefully change the the mindset and, and mentality of people in in your spheres. And so exactly, spheres is is the is the term uh, that's really or the word that's really important because a lot of people throw up their hands and say, "Look at this." I mean, this world is is going to hell in a handbasket, and throw up their hands and say, "There's no, there's nothing I can do." But the reality is, here we go again. You have your sphere of influence, like everybody has a sphere of influence as a circle around you. Maybe there are 25 people in that circle, but imagine if everyone impacted uh, their sphere of influence ideologically. There'd be a bunch of circles all over the map where some people would be impacted by one or, or two or many people. And, and that would be able to help them change their perspective and, 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 and challenge their own motives for the things that they do. So there's no reason to throw up your hands. Just be an influencer with the people that you influence. So believers, please don't get discouraged when you see the world in the state that it's in, but continue to push on, push on, push on. That's what we're going to do here, which is keep God in the mix. So like I always say, we're going to keep in the mix so they put me in the ground. So we thank y'all for rocking with us this week. We're going to change the world one brick at a time. <laughs> for Eve and Avery, this is AJ saying peace. We live life with our own prejudices God saying they is, we say that they isn't How you living? Ooh, now you listen Can't see the kingdom with these isms We live life with our own prejudices God saying they is, we say that they isn't How you living? How you living? These isms why don't we let his word penetrate us? It's absurd, so many things can't separate us. Break us down, man, a body in pieces. Different sounds all wrapped the same Jesus. Believers, don't let the difference restrain you. Just let the same spirit maintain you the same you.